Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut. I'm an ASC cinematographer, and I wanted to kind of talk to you about something. Getting started in this industry is almost impossible. And my wife, Lydia, and I, 14 years ago, created a resource called Filmmakers Academy to make it possible. We saw a lot of gatekeeping in this industry and not a lot of sharing knowledge. So we wanted to pull back the curtain, give you confidence, teach you all the necessary skills to be an amazing, successful filmmaker, and package it all on this online resource that you have at your fingertips, on set, on your phone, on your laptop, whatever it is. So we're going to give you $50. So if you go into the show notes, click the link, and hit the promo code FAPOD50, you're going to get $50 on your first year of an all-access membership. And I cannot wait for you to join our immense and immersive community at Filmmakers Academy, where we network, we share knowledge, we just bond as this huge filmmaking uh, resource to ignite your creativity and push you beyond your boundaries. I cannot wait to see you in the Academy, and let's get to the podcast. So today on the Inner Circle Podcast, we are going to be talking to Daryl Wong, and we're going to be going through his pivot from pro baller to cinematographer. We're also going to dive into his relationship with his beautiful wife. And we're also going to talk to Daryl about some unexpected twists and turns, the way that he deals with stress on set, how he leads his crew, and a lot more. Oh, networking too. He's going to dive into his whole networking strategy, what he's all about, how he networks, uh, his emails, all that great stuff, and uh, I think it's going to be an incredible discussion, and we can't wait to get started. All right, let's dive in, Daryl. Daryl, welcome. Shane and I are thrilled to get to know you better, to hear about your work and your life. And we're going to dive right in. Yes, absolutely. How are you doing, Daryl? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me today. Excellent. Today's Inner Circle podcast is going to be called The Pivot. So what does the pivot mean to you, Daryl? Oh, man. The pivot is when you're, on, you're going one direction, you think your life is going this way, and then something happens that changes you onto a whole nother route that you even know was there and you lean into it and um you might find something that's magical and amazing that you never even knew about all right that's that's how i look at the pivot yeah absolutely and your pivot was from a pro baller to a cinematographer that yes. is a very <laughs> bizarre pivot wouldn't you say um, yes, it's, uh, it was very unexpected. <laughs> Nobody saw this coming, but um, yeah, everybody that's along the ride with me is enjoying it. That's great. Yeah, That is so great. So from what I've learned about you, uh, you had an injury mm -hmm. and couldn't play basketball anymore. No. And I think that a lot of people would have been really... I don't know, mentally discouraged at that point. I mean, this this was your career. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, take me through what that felt like. Oh, man. So um, I was playing in the Middle East out in Saudi Arabia and um, got undercut 
um, going up for a dunk, landed on my knee, tore everything, ACL, MCL, PCL, while my cartilage blew out. It was pretty much over. So um, you try to make a comeback, right? You know, I was documenting the whole thing. Like my sister and um, my best friend, um, Corey, got me into documents. So I started filming everything on my phone. And my leg was in the machine for um, 12 hours a day for about almost eight months. Um, like slowly bends at 90 degrees, so it helped you get the fluid because my yes. was about that big. But um, after that, um, I learned to edit, to put it together because in my mind, I was going to have this big comeback story. And um, I tried to come back. I just wasn't the same player. I couldn't move the same no more. So um, I had to let it go. And then from there, how I got into it was um, my wife does social media on the side of her corporate job. She's like my own personal superhero. She wears like many, many capes. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, she used to go out. We used to live in Calgary, Alberta at the time. And she used to go out for lunch with her friends and ask them to take pictures of her after. And she'll post it online. And um, I was home just sitting down watching Netflix, doing nothing, figuring out what's going to happen in life next. And I was like, I could take your picture for you. I'm not doing nothing today. So I love, I would love to say that when I picked the camera for the first time, I was just amazing at it. Um, but I wasn't. And me and my wife are best friends. We're very, very honest with each other. And she was like, you suck at this. She was like, <laughs> she was like if you want to keep shooting, like you're freakishly tall. You can't shoot me from your freakishly tall height. You're making me look small. If you want to shoot me, you got to get better. So um, to never be embarrassed like that ever again. And to prove her wrong. Um, but nah, she was, she was supportive um, overall. And um, I just started looking on YouTube, looking at videos, studying. I would call local photographers in the area to ask them to take them out to lunch. I'll pick a picture off their website and ask them to break it down to me how they did it. And then trial and error. Um, so those many hours, my wife would like sit in a chair and we'll get like some lights off of like Amazon and she'll let me light her and I'll see how it looks on her face. And um, from there, I just started like, I used to be in the gym three to four times a day working out. And I just took um, the same stuff that Instead of working out, I would like watch tutorials in the morning. So I looked in my mind, I was doing like three to four workouts, either watching tutorials, reading articles, um, watching a movie, then trying to Google and find behind the scenes of the movies of how they did it. And that was my way of working out. And um, from there, we moved to Toronto and she got put in a L'Oreal commercial because I was shooting photography for her. So I got back a little bit. I got a little ahead of myself. I was shooting photography for her and I got good at it. And brands started asking her who's... Um, who's shooting your content. And she's like, well, my husband. So they started hiring me to shoot um, product photos for them. So I started shooting for Lincoln and L'Oreal and Pantene and Banana Republic and things of that sort. So we moved to Toronto and um, she's in the L'Oreal commercial and they asked me to shoot behind the scenes for it. So now I'm doing video. And you know, I remember how to edit from when I was doing my own little video for my own little projects. And um, this was my first time being on a commercial set and watching them build everything up from nothing. Like on a white site, they built this beautiful closet set for the um, commercial, shot it, tore it down all in the same day. And I remember being on commercials when I played ball and you're there for like three hours, the bright lights shine on you, a person comes up to you and it's direct, it's the only thing you know, you, you say your lines, you dunk a couple of times, you're out the door. Right. Right. So this is like, I got to see the whole experience and it reminded me of basketball. It was a big team atmosphere. And you know, everybody being creative, everybody's, pushing each other to like get the no i mean done. making movies making commercials music videos it is a team sport exactly it is a team sport now what i love about that is how you took the protocols and the uh kind of etiquette of how you drove yourself as how you're practicing your workouts all that stuff as a, a pro basketball player 
and then completely spun that into mm-hmm. now it's watching tutorials. It's practicing here. You're, you're practicing the craft of photography and cinematography. And, you know, I um, was big into sports when I was a kid. You know, I played uh, soccer, basketball, baseball, golf, tennis. Um, I was very good at soccer, very good goalie, played semi-professional, you know, back in the 80s. But um, that ethic and those kind of the protocols and etiquette of just training and everything, that's kind of how I started to transition into, you know, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to make it as a, as a pro athlete, but I used what I learned and how I practiced and how I trained and everything to kind of really push me up the ladder as well. And it's a it's a ritual, it's a mental game. Mm-hmm. So much of the film industry because you need a confidence level and you need to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Resilience. And, and resilience and to believe in yourself uh, even when nobody else does at certain times, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of what you built with your wife, which is so beautiful. And she was able to be honest with you <laughs> saying, hey, Daryl, you got to work on this a little bit, right? <laughs> and I love that. And I love to watch how you two support one another because I think that that's so beautiful because before you had two very independent careers. Mm-hmm. And now you find yourselves, because of your pivot, working together. Is that right? Um, well, yeah, I still shoot some of her social media projects. Well, as I grew in my career, um, I got a lot more busy. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had to start teaching how to do things, stuff like that. I teach how to edit. You know what I mean? I made, I made little um, color grade LUTs that you can put on top of stuff. And then, like, big campaigns will schedule out time to where I'm, I'm available, she's available, and I'll shoot all that stuff for her. Right. Um, but like, yeah, she was amazingly supportive. She's like my best friend. And um, I, I, I tell everybody, like, especially I'm, I was never an artist until a few years ago. At least I didn't consider myself an artist until a few years ago. Um, with basketball, numbers don't lie. So if I put up 40 and you say you suck, I can always point at the scoreboard and say, well, obviously you're wrong because that says something totally different where um, art's subjective. So we can right. all look at the same thing and feel totally different ways about it. So sometimes it's really easy to get down on yourself because people not, might not respond to your work the way you hoped for them to respond to. And um, she, one of my biggest supporters, uh, I, I keep a very close circle of friends and family that are very supportive of me. Like, for example, my mother doesn't understand what I do. I explain to her, but she doesn't like, understand what I do technically, but just like, you're amazing. You're going to be amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. You're great. And it's, yeah. just, it's a huge support. And she's always been like that. And my wife is the same. So even when she was telling me like, you got to get better, she would help me get better. And I mean, she, like I said, she'll sit there and let me light her. She'll, if I need to help with something, she'll make the time to help me with it. And, um, it's, you know, you need that support. Cause like you said, it's easy to get down on yourself. It really is. And I think it's so neat to see how you, um, not only believed in your ability and not only pushed yourself to learn the craft, mm-hmm. but to then push yourself even to a higher level to expand out. Now I know that you have a TV series 
mm-hmm. coming out. Can you tell us a little more about that and kind of how, because we've seen your commercials and they're beautiful on your <laughs> yeah. website. Thank you. And I'd love to talk about those too, but I think we'd love to hear about this, this show and kind of how it happened for you. So I like to network. Um, I'm a big believer in no matter what lane you're in, you have to network. So I'm constantly shooting out emails and um, I'm a big believer of learning. So you got to take risks to learn sometimes and it's okay to fail because you learn from the experience and grow. So um, for the past year, I've been trying to get TV shows or uh, I've interviewed for TV shows, did lookbooks, stuff like that. Like I actually learned how to do a lookbook from um, a DP, Scott McCullen, and from your tutorial. When you did the lookbook, I think it was on Holiday. Right. Like that. And between both of y'all, I was able to put together lookbooks and figure that out. And um, I got interviewed for the show and they gave me a chance. And um, it was a totally different experience from commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, commercials, you got to deal with agency and clients and they make the final decisions on TV's director and the showrunners. And so yeah. it's all about the creative. Once the, um, once the network gives you the money, they say, it's due this date. You're not getting no more money. You have to deliver this. And after that, it's like everybody figuring out where the money goes best to make the best product, who, what department needs more, who needs more time, all, all conversations about what's going to make the best out of this. And then different from commercials, commercials just one, two, three days and you know, with a new crew the next time sometimes um, where on TV you was there what, almost two and a half, three months together mm-hmm. and you get to learn and talk to people more often and you become friends with them you become right? a family that's what yeah. i yeah. i mean everyone's like you know when i was a commercial cameraman i was i had this kind of a pivot in my career i was doing commercials and i had a very established um director bob giraldi at the time he had a, a massive production company in los angeles and and new york and he goes i want you to direct for my company i really love your style Mm-hmm. I really love what you bring as a cinematographer because I was doing Michael Jordan ads with him and all this stuff. Uh, and uh, we were on a, an amazing run. I mean, it was like two years of just awesomeness. Nice. And then uh, I, I said, you know, I, Bob, I, I have this really unique opportunity. Uh, Rob Cohen, this director, called me up and he's offered me this film called The Rat Pack. And I really want to go make this movie. The script is incredible. And, you know, when I come back, I'd really like to to uh, start uh, and talk about this further. He goes, oh, no, that's not going to happen. Hmm. He goes, you either want to be with me directing commercials or you go do your narrative thing. And it was literally black and white. Hmm. And I was like, whoa. Okay. And I remember calling my agent at the time, Stacy Sheriff. And I go, Stacy, what do you think about? It? I'm like at a crossroads here. And she goes, narrative gives you longevity. Mm-hmm. Commercials is flash and pan. And I was like, okay, I'm going for longevity. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I told Bob, thank you very much for the offer. But I'm not going to be able to take your, uh, you know, work with your production company and be on your roster. I, I'm going to follow uh, my my narrative. And I remember coming on the first day of set, 
it became this amazing family of all, because that was my first film. I called in every favor I could from all my commercial clients <laughs> and everything, asking them to give me stuff for free. And because, I mean, this was my coming out party, right? Yeah. So I was like, I got to, you know, I got to deliver it. the goods. Yeah. I got to bring the goods. So, you know, yeah, that's family is what I really love about the narrative experience, because yeah. you really start to bond uh, with with everyone and you start to understand each dynamic and and uh, you know going out and hanging out on the weekends together mm -hmm. and just you know it's because it's difficult when you're obviously there I mean if your wife is not able to be there then weekends are pretty much you know by yourself and mm -hmm. so it's like trying to keep the friends of of you know whether we're going out and playing a game of golf or going to to see a movie or going out to dinner it's like that mm -hmm. connection of that small family is mm -hmm. is really it's gotten me through a lot of tough times of being away from from Lydia. You hit the the nail on it was it it was a family atmosphere. Even when people bumped heads, it was never like mean. It was, you know, everybody just trying to get the best out of exactly. the situation. And like when people bump heads, they apologize to each other at the end of the day. It was like a great experience. And um the I, I shot something that I typically wouldn't shoot. It was um a sketch comedy show, but the way they pitched it to me was, um, we're gonna let you shoot every genre. And um, we want it to be as cinematic as you want to make it. And it was five different directors I had to work with and try to get best, because it's like, it was like 50, 55 different sketches we had to do. Wow. And um, sometimes it's like two a day we're doing, and you work one director in the morning, another director at the night. And it was just a great learning experience and it was very exhausted. And um, but I, I came off it and I remember I was sitting down with my wife when we was done with it and she was like, so you did your first narrative thing now, which route do you want to go? And I was like, oh, I want to do both, but like, I really want to do narrative. I'm yeah. like, that's, you get to tell a story and somebody could connect with that one day. And yeah, then, it's like 15 to 30 seconds. I mean, we're all storytellers, yeah. whether it's commercial music video, a documentary, whatever it is. But there's something special about being in that darkened theater or that darkened living room and you're watching something like just uh, last week I sat down with my son and I go, uh, Miles, we're going to watch Platoon. Okay. And he's like, what, what's this? And I go, dude, <laughs> trust me, this is a movie that you're going to want to see. And at the end of it, he goes, dad, what a great movie. And I go, yeah. I said, this is, this is how, you know, these are the type of movies that move you that, yeah. that, uh, really show the inner core of, of, you know, the, 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 the two polar opposites of Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe and mm -hmm. how Willem Dafoe fought and, and how he built his team and Berenger was all about driving people into the ground. And Willem Dafoe was about lifting them up and trying to relaxing them because, you know, there's just body bags every day going away. And <laughs> yeah. it was like that whole uniqueness within that platoon was pretty uh, incredible. And he really saw that. And he had mentioned to us, He's like, if I get out of school, you know, maybe I'm going to the military. So I'm like, what movie could I show him that is going to veer him off that goddamn path? 
Oh, <laughs> uh, I want to circle back to something that you said because I I think it's so interesting, um, and I think you're being very humble. So you are in the situation on your show mm-hmm. that you just did. What did you learn? about yourself or what surprised you about yourself um so some good and some bad um like we'll, we'll, we'll end with the good so the bad was um <laughs> i'm a very laid-back person on set i don't really get riled up because i'm a believe i believe like this you know it could be a stressful environment on set sometimes when you have to meet um time frames and certain demands but I always felt like the cinematographer is nervous and looks like unhinged everybody else is going to become unhinged and it's going to go crazy so um i'm always calm i always talk calm and you know i mean i'm not a yeller anyways but so i never yell and people enjoy working with me because of that and a lot of things don't get to me i learned on the tv show though um i don't like people touching the camera without asking me like a director touching the camera and or directing my crew after we had a conversation and i'm doing what you ask and then you start telling my crew to do something else. Um, but through conversation, because you're working with people for the first time and they're used to doing things their way and used to think, doing things your way. So through conversation, we came to understand it. But like, I honestly didn't know that would bother me until it happened and I felt something inside of myself. I was like, why do I feel like this? And mm-hmm. I learned that day that little things like that irk me. But um, I'll say that's on the negative side. On the positive side of things, um, it was... Uh, I got to light so many different genres. Um, we had one. We had one um, director who was like David Fincher reincarnate. He wanted everything dark and push. Like it was like yo, we're clipping stuff here, man. Like you know, we were really in the shadows here. It's like yo, it'll be fine. You got to want it dark, and um, <laughs> it was it was just pushing myself to different limits that I did. You know, you, you you start getting comfortable with light in certain ways, and you had to figure new ways of lighting and um lean on my team more than I ever had for certain things, right? Um, I met with, before I got on the show, before we started the show, I met with other cinematographers um, like um, like um, Scott McKellen and um, Peter Hatterfield and um, Bobby Shore and Andre Pignard, the people that are just so amazing and so talented and that let me shadow them before. So I asked them for advice. Like, I mean, I'm, a, I'm not telling you, you, you have to tell me you have to do it this way, but just like what pitfalls to watch out for that, you know, we can help save the day and it was like stay on top of pre-lighting you know i mean stay on top of like leading your crew this looks all right to you it's a couple tweaks get your crew to start going to the next room to start lighting that as early as possible and um stay on top of that and that'll help you get ahead when you're falling behind so there were a lot of positive experiences um i was able to bring on second acs um women of color, men of color, people that never been on TV shows like me, they were new like me, looking for more experience. And then I had a good group of veteran crew that were nice to like help pick up like, all right, cause they're gonna work hard, right? They're gonna run around, work hard, but it's like, all right, don't just run, do things right and wrap the cords this way. And the batteries always gotta be charged this way. And you can see them get better over the course of the show and that was a lot of um fun and um then at the end of it um i took like i got gift cards for everybody as part of my crew um because unfortunately i couldn't take everybody out to drink so i made sure like whether you want to get some food you want to get a drink this is on me um because unfortunately i had to leave right after the show but um yeah it was just like seeing people appreciate that was really cool and um 
it was just overall a really good experience. It was very tiring though. <laughs> it was very tiring, very stressful, but like I really, really enjoyed it. Well, and I love your heart because I think that's what I see immediately is the way that you like to lift other people up who want the opportunity, who might not have it otherwise. And and Shane, it's very similar. I mean, I think the two of you share this in common where, you know, you you need veterans to surround you to execute, mm -hmm. uh, to make sure, especially in a new situation, but as much as you can possibly do, you open the door to bring other people in and to really give them experience and yeah, to help teach risk. them. You take a take risk. You take a risk. Because you don't know as much as you might talk to the person and understand who their values are and all that kind of stuff until you get them on set in that stress environment, you really don't know how they're going to respond. And some completely rise to the occasion and they're like, I want more. This is exciting, you know, and others just don't bring it. Um, and they immediately see that this might not be for them. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a, it's, it's a balancing act. And, but I, I just love, I, I love that more than anything is like giving people a chance and, and seeing, seeing them grow and, and also just continue to throw gas on the, the passion fire, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's just like really continue to inspire them and, uh, you know, give them kudos and, and also, you know, negative feedback as well. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it can't just all be positive. You can't just snowball them with that kind of stuff. You got to be very honest, honest yeah. you know, because yeah. it's like, it's one thing to be the nice guy, but you also have to be the person that's honest with them on what works and what doesn't work and yeah. what they have to work on and what you didn't like and all these type of things, you know, it's, it's, I think it's essential to, to grow as a human, mm -hmm. not, not just a technician. Yeah. And as an artist, I think it's really, you know, being vulnerable and, and having the tough conversation, I think is something that a lot of people shy away from mm -hmm. because they feel like, Oh, I don't want to hurt that person's feelings or, but I think especially at our age and with the level of experience, we realize the elephant in the room is going to keep getting bigger yeah. if you don't have that really tough conversation, yeah. right? And so pulling them aside and being like, I, I need to get real with you right now, because, right? Yeah, I want to go back to your bad situation when the mm -hmm. person touched your camera and talked to your crew. How did you react to that? How did you address that situation? How did you diffuse the bomb or ignite it? What was your uh, plan of attack? Um, well, first thing I did, I asked them to stop and they didn't. They didn't understand. I guess they won't understand what I was asking them to stop doing. And then um, it was already a long day. We were what, 10 hours in probably already. And this is what, like this day seven of the shoot. And it was like my first time working with this, my first time shooting with this director. And um, so I asked him, I need you to leave set. I need you to walk off set until I'm done lighting and setting up. And then you come back in and give me your notes and stuff like that. And um, I asked him sternly, I, I really need you to leave right now. And then um, I took a few seconds to myself. Um, I got into meditation. And I had a few seconds of myself to meditate, woo-saw, went in, asked him to come back on set. 
um, before I asked him to come back, I said, I talked to him. And I was like, um, I explained why I asked him to leave set. And um, he was a guy who needed to think it through a little bit more. So like he couldn't like really respond to me, just shook his head like, okay. And then after we finished shooting that day, he came over to me, he thought it through, and then I got his version of everything. And he expressed to me how he felt about um, the accident of leave said and things of that. So and we had a grown conversation about it. And um, you know, I mean, we both apologized to each other and we worked through it. And then the rest of the time we shot, the rest of the episode for the other days and stuff was fine. Um, but that conflict happened and um, I I just need to step back to deal with it in the right way. Cause um, I'm not an angry person. I'm not an aggressive person. Um, I was making a joke to some friends last night. I understand how I could look intimidating sometimes cause I'm so tall and I could tower over people <laughs> and um, I could speak with a deep voice sometimes. But uh, so a lot of times I've, I'm trying to like be further away from you so I don't seem so big and tall. I'll sit down so we're like kind of like eye to eye and talk and then you yeah. can hear me better, understand. And it's not it doesn't feel as I don't know, intimidating, I guess, right? Um Do but, you spread your legs a lot? Uh yeah. Make yourself shorter. Shorter. Yeah. Um <laughs> 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 uh, that or um I'm known to like keep an apple box with me. And it's funny because when I was PA in of this can't remember his name, but it was a key grip on a commercial I was on. And he said, if you want to seem busy, walk around for Apple Box. And people are going to always see what Apple Box is. I'm like, man, that guy's always working. So now I keep some on crew to keep an Apple Box with me. So I can always sit down when I need to talk to somebody, stuff like that. It, um, I'm not just standing with my legs spread looking awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that I'd like to, to touch on that you brought up that's so important is that people can misinterpret being very direct. Mm-hmm for mean yeah yeah or for harsh and i think sometimes with the speed of set and in going a million miles an hour you you may need to give a directive mm-hmm. where you're just being direct and it's 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 also how it the other person interprets that or how it lands on them or how they hear it. Mm -hmm. And so I think the subtlety of communication, what you did so brilliantly in that situation was you realized you needed to take a minute, calm your brain chatter down with meditation (laughs) and then revisit and, and come back to, because I think sometimes where I see trouble brewing is when the escalation happens, right? And then and then people or the unspoken word, like you just don't talk, you know, and there's that tension that builds. Mm-hmm. And the residue yeah. from that. And so I think if you can, and there's nothing wrong with saying, I need a minute right now. Mm-hmm. I, I I need a minute and I'm gonna be with you in just a minute. Oh, <laughs> 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 um. Because I, I know you was asking before about like um, wellness and yes. um, I shot a project, um, a short film that I made into TIFF this past year. And um, it was about, um, there was this big shooting out in Moulton, Mississauga in Canada. And um, unfortunately, um, a kid passed away. He's a bystander. And so kids in their class were going through this trauma. Director X, um, 
I don't know if y'all know who he is. He's a big time music video director, and now he's doing like movies and films as a director. Um, he did a TED talk talking about how medication, I mean, meditation helps with trauma and um, yes. can help bring down anxiety and um, anger issues and things of that sort. So uh, a teacher saw his TED talk and brought it to the class and started um, getting them to meditate and started seeing really good results. Now they were trying to bring Director X in so he could do it with them. They could meet him for the, you know what I mean? Because he's he's a public figure out in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And um, because of COVID, the school wouldn't allow it. So um, they ended up teaming up with Headspace and we shot a documentary about it. So we brought the kids in and um, we did um, got them to meditate on camera. And to make them feel comfortable with meditating in front of us, um, we got them to lead the meditation and the whole crew had to do it. Everybody there had to meditate with them. And that was my first time ever meditating. And it was a great experience. So like, um, I'm trying to get into doing it every day, but what I always do it is, um, if I'm going to shoot, the first thing I do, I don't grab my phone when I wake up anything, I put my feet on the floor and I sit there and I meditate, put a little timer on, get a good three, five minutes of meditation, deep breaths. And um, that helps me start the day off, relax, good to go. And then um, I decompress a different way. Um, me and my wife are, are like um, cognac collectors and we drink. So we built a little bar in our house. So uh -huh. like, when I come off a set, she'll wait there and she'll serve me up like she's a bartender. And we'll sit Aww. down and we'll go through our whole day. And that's the way we decompress. But I start the day off meditating. And then um, if things get too, um, stress gets too built up on set, like I said, I'll take a step away and meditate. Or usually I could wait until like lunchtime. You know, you get your little personal time, whether it's five minutes, because people come to ask you about the next setup, the first yes. idea, somewhere yeah, like that. Exactly. You know? So I give them a little five, ten minutes. I meditate, and then I eat, and then I'm able to go for the second half of the day. And what I love about that is uh, it's a morning routine that you have consistently, mm -hmm. and it's also a wind-down routine. And that wind-down routine happens to be with your wife if you're in town so that you can connect with each other and have this beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that that it's the routine that I've seen over the years and the consistency of doing that that allows you to be the best version of that you can be on set. Mm -hmm. And then when you come home, you can be that best version of yourself as you're winding down with your wife, right? Yeah. And and I think that people really need to understand because I, if it were up to me, I would have a wellness coordinator on every <laughs> single set, okay? There's intimacy coordinators. We all need wellness coordinators because <laughs> I'm a life coach and I love people and I love wellness. Mm -hmm. And because think about the positivity that that could bring. Think about the possibility, right? Mm -hmm. And because these, the brain is calm. You're, you're the best decision maker that you can be. You're the best leader you can be to your crew. They're like, wow, your creativity is maximized when you're meditating. I mean, so many benefits. And you've just proven how well it works with kids and trauma too, yeah. right? So I, it's, it is the number one tool you got to jump on me, dude, because I it took her 25 years to convince me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've I've been in like a lot of stressful situations in my life and the area I grew up in and then like um, playing ball and all the expectations and some of the countries I lived in from that. 
So I learned different ways to deal with it, but this has been one of the best ways. And then um, the director and the producer um, of the of the film, um, Karen Chapman and um, Sarah Basio, who were, are amazing, um, they really pushed it. And it became a day every day we, we um, shot on set. And um, I just stuck with it. And it, it's been a huge, huge help. And um, I guess my wife's more in your shoes because she doesn't do it. And I get her to do it sometimes with me when mm-hmm. stress gets really built up in, in her day. And she'll we'll do it together. But not consistently enough for her. But um, I mean, hopefully it doesn't take her 25 years. But she, she'll get there. <laughs> she'll get You'll there. rub off. Yeah. yeah. We, have, we, have, we have a good way of doing that to each other. Rub off on each other. Yeah. The right amount. Yeah, in the yeah. best ways. Yeah. That's so great. So I would love to talk about some of your commercial work mm-hmm. um, because I think, you know, we talked about sometimes being in an all or or nothing choice, right? Yeah. In an ideal world, you can go back and forth between, yeah. between narrative and commercial depending, mm-hmm. right? Depending on everybody's schedule and availability. And so what I loved... Um, was your attention to detail and it was the spot and I'm going to totally blank on it now I'm so sorry um with the mixologists right the patron oh, the patron yeah. yeah thank you sorry patron um and and you really told a beautiful story and and what made the commercial powerful to me other than the lighting it looked gorgeous but you. the you got into the heads of the mixologists and what was important to them. And it really made you understand their mindset when they are, are doing what they love to do in their artistry. Mm-hmm. From sense to, you know, like the concert pianist guy. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, he, like he was, he was, cha- he was cool. ch- changing one milliliter. Yeah. You know, it's like right? he's really precise with that. too. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I love that, you know, because that's, I, you know, when you're making an old fashioned, it's like three dashes of this bitters. Yeah. Right. And if you do four or five, it's a completely different, different drink. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is like and it's a lot like how we paint with light mm-hmm. and how we lens. You know, it's like the the that's what i love about the craft so much it's like those small little details that finesse is what's really mm-hmm. i think what what it's all about it's like you know bringing something to life but it's it's that taking something that seems so ordinary mm-hmm. and making it extraordinary and that's what I really loved about the Patron thing. It's like you took like something of a bartender shaking their drinks and pouring it out. And you see this on a daily basis at every bar. But then mm-hmm. getting inside the minutia of what it takes to be an award-winning mixologist, just yeah. like award-winning chef, you know, the understanding that craft and the attention to detail and yeah. how one milliliter or a dash of salt or too much pepper really can throw the whole thing off. Yeah, that um that, that spot was actually a lot of fun to shoot. Um the director um Siggy uh Rappaport, he um had an amazing treatment for it. And um we got to talk while we were setting up, we had to talk with the um the bartenders and get more inside mm-hmm. their heads and see what they like. And um like um James who was like really technical with the milliliters of mm-hmm. the chili flakes and everything like that. We had explained to him like we need to do like the drop took a a while to get for um the shot and he's like you're messing up the drink and i was like well this is not going to drink you're going to use for the competition this is going to like 
with trying to heighten your craftsmanship, man. Exactly. So we had to explain it to him because he was like, I wouldn't do this many drops of it in it. I was like, we understand that, man. It's just for the footage. But they were all very talented, very um, cool people to work with. And um, they just, when you see them make the craft and you hear their story and then you get to taste it at the end of the day. Like they, they, they made it from the whole crew for everybody at the end of the day. When you, what a um, fun shoot. job, right? It was, it was, um, commercial <laughs> liquor spots are like my favorite because um, <laughs> they, they, it helps me stock my bar, which is awesome. And then, um, you, you just get open to so many new things, like so many drinks that I normally wouldn't taste. Like I would never had that cucumber drink if she didn't make it for me. And if, if I wasn't mm -hmm. shooting that spot and it was really good, and I've tried to recreate it and I can't. <laughs> like she's really talented at it, right? Yeah. And um it was it was great. It was great. And that spot always um another reason why I love that spot. One of my crew members is um a guy named Enrique from the Philippines. He um asked me to be on that shoot and he was a PA. But you know, hang around the camera department and you know what I mean, I talked to the first eighteen seconds scene, like, you know what I mean, let him come out and help some and teach him some things and i'm a big believer of you treat everybody with respect you ain't gotta like everybody but you treat everybody with respect because you never know this person right here that you're over one day might be over you and this is a great example of that because rike is a sweet guy super super nice guy and um it felt like i blinked and he was pa and now he's a producer and um like he works for the cfc which um helped grows young directors composers in the film industry wow and he produces all their showcase films and then he's in, now i think he believes in talks with trying to work for netflix and um super 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 nice guy so every time i think about Catron, i think about enrique because i remember yeah. him being on the set and being green and just working hard and just was a joy to have around and now he's doing that, many other amazing that's things. a great story and and you know, it's, it's, this industry has that potential. Everyone has that potential mm -hmm. to, to have that lightning bolt hit them. I, I was on a, I was, when I was working myself up the ladder, I did all these uh, deferred paid, uh, you know, movies that I never got paid for one of them, <laughs> you know, and they were these three and four and six weeks, little wonders, you know, that I was a dolly grip on and I did this one and I was in this shack and it was, uh, it was like 130 degrees. Um, and, uh, I turned to this PA that was next to me and I was dolly gripping. I'm just sweating bullets and I'm pushing in and this guy who's in like this layers of makeup and I go, we got to go right now before he, it just melts on him <laughs> and everything. And I, and we're go back to one and I'm like, dude, can you just get me a drink? I, I really need a drink. And he goes, yeah, no problem. And he comes, he gives me the drink two, three movies or no, I would say one movie later. Um, I'm on another set and there is that PA again. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Hey, you know, James, hey, can you get me a drink? And the key grip comes up to me and he goes, you know, you just asked the producer to get you a water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, whoops. Whoops. <laughs> but that's great. I mean, these are the kind of, you know, that's the, that's mm -hmm. awesome about this industry. It's like, and, and, you know, people, it's very hard. It's, it's hard to get into. Mm-hmm. And it's, it takes a lot of resilience. Uh, you're going to get knocked down 
and you got to get back up and you're going to get knocked down again and you got to get back up and you got to just keep that positive attitude. I call it positronics. Yeah. You know, it's the positronics that drives you. You know, you keep positive, get knocked down, get back up, get going. And as you know, an athlete, mm -hmm. that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, that's what drives you. Right. Yeah. I mean, you pushing your body uh, to the breaking point to yeah. get to that level that's going to, you know, get you into playing professional basketball. I mean, it's not like everyone can say that, hey, I, I'm going to go play professional basketball. <laughs> so, know. You know, it's, it's, it takes talent and it takes determination and it takes resilience and a lot of hard work. And you already had that uh, inner workings. And now you're just taking everything that you learned that built you to that point, And now you're infusing it into your artistry. Yeah. And no, that's, you hit it right on the head again, man. Like that's exactly what I did. And, um, and I've been blessed and lucky to have the success that I've had and work with some amazing people that gave me great opportunities. And, um, and people like y'all that like put courses out that like, you know, I didn't go to school for none of this. And you're trying to figure out, am I doing this right? And, you know, you, you can see other professionals that are doing it. And it's like, um, okay, I could do this. <laughs> you know, you start, you start building up that confidence. And, and then the old confidence that you had from like sports stuff starts creeping up. It's like, yeah, you can do this. Like it's just yeah. repetition. It's just repetition. And next thing you know, you're, you're doing it. And um, I look back sometimes and because I haven't been doing this for long. I didn't start PA until like 2019. I, I became a DP during um, the pandemic. So like um, I was telling Jordan the other day, I did my first in-person color session before I came out to L.A. I've never done one before. I've only done it virtual. And um, I didn't know they wine and dine you in, in, the, in, the, in the color studios. And it's amazing. It's a great experience. I was like, <laughs> I want to do this all the time now. Um, but yeah, I look back sometimes and um, I always just give thanks because it could have went so different. And um, I, I didn't tell this earlier, but there was a conversation I had with my wife when um, I told her I'm retiring. And um, she had mixed feelings. She was happy because I'll be home more often now instead of be going for eight months of the year. But she was also sad because she knew that's not how I wanted to leave the game. And um, I remember sitting there with her and we was having a drink and having a conversation. I was like, well, you know what? I got to live my dream. Most people don't get to live their dream of life. So I'm very lucky and blessed in that. I'm just going to find a regular nine to five. Um, something where when I check out, the work don't come home with me. Hopefully make about like 50, 60 grand. And then whatever you want to do, whatever your dream is, gold is, I'm going to support you in that. I'm just going to be a good father when we have kids one day and just that. And she looked at me and she was like, no. I didn't fall in love with you to be a regular person. Like I fell in love with you because she was passionate about what you do. So I want you to find something else that you're passionate about. And I, I've been very blessed and lucky to find two things in my lifetime that I'm very, very passionate about. And the good thing about filmmaking is um, it's not going to tear apart my body like basketball did. So I could do it for much longer. longer. Exactly. <laughs> well, and I think it's the relationships that I love so much, right? Like your foundational relationship with your wife where she – She'll say, yeah, but you're so much more than that, mm -hmm. right? Like you could be the stay home person supporting me, but that's not who you really are, mm -hmm. right? And so can you describe a little bit about how you build relationships? Because this is such an integral part of the film industry with yes, directors. Yes, this is exactly what I wanted to say. We have so many members <laughs> that talk about networking, yeah, right? So Super important. 
Take yes. them through how you, Daryl Wong, how you network. Okay, so break that down for people because this is something everyone has their style. Mm -hmm. But let's hear because this is a, a big part of breaking into the industry and really getting mm -hmm. your kind of groove on, let's say, you know. So tell us about how you network. Um, well, first, um, I realized that people feel the way I feel, as in, like, you know, you'll get insecure about your own work sometime. And as great as some people are in this industry, it amazes me that they feel that way. Sometimes I look at some people like I could look at your work and be like, oh my God, wow. And I can hear you say on a podcast or something like, oh, I wasn't really sure about that. Or I had some yeah. doubt of myself. And I'm like, well, if he feels doubts about himself, it's okay if I have some <laughs> doubts about myself there, right? <laughs> so um, the first thing I do is you email people and you compliment them on the work. You email people mm -hmm. that you want to work with, that you something about their work attracts your eye to it. And it's like, I would love to create something with them. So you find however many people that is and you email them and you compliment them on your work. Don't just say, hi, hire me. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? You compliment your work and um, ask them, take them out to a coffee, take them out to a lunch, ask to meet. Whether it's five, 10 minutes, however many time they could give you, but ask to meet with them and then do your research. You know, look up. Most people have a website and have a bio where they're from and stuff like that. And um. I've been blessed to live in 12 different countries around the world. I've done a plethora of different things. So I kind of confidently feel like I could connect with somebody almost. We might not like 10 things, but it might be one thing that we like the same. And I could connect you on that and I could have a conversation with you about that. And I'll do my research to have a conversation about that. And I explain to everybody I, I meet or interview with, like, I would love to work with you, but I don't plan. I don't expect for you to call me tomorrow. I'm like, yo, Daryl, I got a job for you. But somewhere down the line, I must keep staying in contact with you and at the right, around the right time aligns, we'll work on something together. And I'll tell people, like, I'm open to doing spec projects. You have a passion film you want to get off the ground, we'll do it. I'll call in some favors. Like, if the story's good, you know what I mean? Because I'll, I'll tell you, give me the script, I'm going to let you know. Like, I don't think this is for me or did you think about this? But if I think the story is good, I'm willing to, like, give my time and devote my time and help you grow and help myself grow and build that relationship. Um, and don't be scared to, you don't have to just hit up young people. I hit up people that are 30 years in, in the game. Like, everybody, you have something, you have to understand you have something to give to everybody. Why didn't you hit me up, Daryl? <laughs> oh, so no, that, that's still coming. I was going. I was going to wait towards the end of that, but that's still coming. I, I do. I do have. I do have something to hit you with. Um, um, that is still coming. Honestly, like people like yourself, I was hoping to meet like at an award ceremony one day. But um, let's say I want to thank Jordan again for this opportunity to connect us because um, I didn't think it would happen this quickly. I did think I was going to meet you um, and other people I look up to. Um, one day, but I figured it'd always be like a award ceremony or something like that. I got invited to, or maybe I'm uh, going to receive an award or something like that. And I happen to run into you while we're going to the bar, you know, something like that. And I could have a conversation with you, but like, this is way better. <laughs> <laughs> we feel this, we feel the same way. And Jordan Brady, you are a rock star. And thank you so much for this, for this connection. Um, so, okay. I love everything that you're saying and what I love the most about it. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I'm, I'm of a very similar mentality and I have this, I, I'm fearless when it comes to 
reaching out to people, to going to the top, to figuring out whatever it needs to be to make that connection. And um, I think that this is a skill that a lot of people talk themselves out of. And I did this when I was going to join the FBI when I was doing forensics. And I was like, I need to go to Quantico. I need to meet John Douglas. And I, I want to understand this world. And everybody said to me, like, Lydia, how do you know what to do? And you don't, right? It's, it's connecting to one person and then that connects you to the next person. And eventually I got to John <laughs> and I was like, I want to be just like you. I want to profile serial killers. I want to be in your world. How do I do it? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, boom. And he said, don't, if you're, if you want to have a family and be married, don't do it. Mm. And he ended up talking me out of it. It was the craziest story. And at the same time, Shane was shooting with his daughter. So yeah. talk about who's an actor. So talk about serendipity. So I'm with the dad. He's with the daughter on set. Right. And I'm getting talked out of this career that I am incredibly passionate about and committed to. But my point is. She called me her last. <laughs> We had so much fun so much on fun. set. Oh, my God. And then I ended up working with her 20 years later. Wow. So she was... Leslie Bibb, right? Leslie Bibb. Yeah, she's so, an amazing actor. You know, she was in... Uh, what's that? Uh, Will Ferrell movie. She was his wife uh, when he was uh, Bobby. What was that movie? I can't remember. It's like a, he was a NASCAR driver. Oh, oh, um, Talladega Nights. Talladega yeah. Nights. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> she was his wife. Okay, in that. Okay, and she was with Josh Jackson. I did this movie called The Skulls. Oh yeah, which okay. was like yeah. that secret society, yeah. you know, skull and bones inside Yale. And she was the girlfriend of Josh mm. Jackson, and. So we had such a great vibe on set back then. And then I worked with her on The Babysitter, which okay. was in 2015, mm -hmm. where she was, uh, my God, it was, that was from 19, what was that? When did I do that? 2000? 2000. Yeah, 2000 yeah. to 20, so 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then she was like, oh, oh my God, it's her alas. How you doing? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it's <laughs> so just... the banter on set was all back just like it was 15 years ago. It was wonderful. But yeah, the, the, this moment when she was like in front of John Douglas and I'm like, I'm working with her, his daughter. His daughter. <laughs> and it was just so, it, it's such a serendipitous world, I guess I would say. Mm. But my point is you never, ever give up. I could have talked myself out of who do I think I am? Oh my gosh, he's John Douglas. He's he's world famous. Mm. He is the number one profiler or was at the time. And and I think it's just I love what I do and loved what I did then. And it was like, how do I find the person that is doing it the best in my eyes? And how do I learn from them? How do I, how do I learn how to navigate this road and hear about all the pitfalls and all the greatness? And, and it was such a spectacular conversation for me and, and life-changing in so many ways because he said, I'm going to tell you something that you don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. And that is you need not to do this because you just told me that you're really happily married mm -hmm. and you won't be if you do this job. 
And I had to make a decision at that point. Was it more important to me to follow my career dream or was it more important to be happily married in, in my relationship? Because we never would have seen each other and we would have grown apart because mm-hmm. I would have been in every field office yeah. in America, right? Yeah. And so it was just, it. those are, are critical uh, moments in your life. And had you not, you know, gone, had I not gone to John Douglas and had this conversation, I could have made a terrible I life mean, she turn. She was hell bent on doing the FBI. It was like every time I <laughs> went to Virginia because she was, going to grad school in UVA. Okay. Um, so we were commuting, basically yeah. commuting for almost two years back and forth. And, wow. you know, every time I would land, we were out on a 10 mile run. Mm. She would go and, you know, shoot Mac tens on the range. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, who the hell is this woman? It's like, you know, she was a, you know, the preacher's daughter and she's like <laughs> wheeling around Mac 10s. I'm like, and she, and she always had asthma, but she's running like crazy and she's I into was it. And pushing it's like, myself oh my God, to... she was pushing. I, I was like, I can't keep up with you, you know? So I've done a lot of pivots and, <laughs> and I, I really appreciate the courage and the tenacity and what, you know, what you have accomplished um, and and remaining so committed to each pivot because there's unexpected opportunity in every single one. And it's it's almost like and and the door slammed very hard for me. That was my dream with the mm-hmm. FBI, just as the door slammed to for you on your injury. And I can mm-hmm. I can just so relate to the layers of it. And then once you pivot the work that it takes to start over yeah. and yeah. to and to really get real and say to yourself, okay, I just I I'm starting over. I know nothing. And I have to be so humble, even though I was at the top, and I now am at the bottom again. And that's a beautiful way of um, constantly reinventing yourself and and becoming stronger almost with each reinvention, if that makes sense sense no it it does um you know like i said i had i had had a lot of support it was not just me by myself i had my best friends were in my corner my wife was in my corner my my parents were in my corner um but another thing like like i was telling you earlier um i'm a big believer in sending the elevator back down my high school coach used to anytime i was in town he used to want me to come by and talk to the local kids and i would explain to them I always try to explain how ball saved my life and how it changed my life and it helped me see the world. And it taught me so many, taught me how to be disciplined, how to work with others, taught me so many life values that um, I was trying to explain to the kids, like, I'm not saying you have to go pro to do this, like, but, but playing this game right here, I'll teach you a good work ethic that you could use in any job lane you want to take. And they, it wasn't computing with them when I would speak to him. And I remember this one kid looked at me. He was like, of course you made it out. He's like, you're six seven. He's like, the scouts are not coming back to this high school to look at me. I'm 5'4". They're never going to look at me. I'm never going to make it out. And I felt bad that he couldn't connect with me on that level. So now um, that I do film and photography and I didn't go to school for it or anything like that and just worked hard to learn the craft. So when I go back and talk to the kids now, I explain to them, I'm able to make them see that Ball taught me 
these life values that I took and used in something that I didn't go to school for, had no clue how to do, didn't even know the industry existed the way as grand as it is. And now I get to travel and shoot and, and create amazing work and work with some amazing people. But it all started with this basketball here. And this these fundamentals that you're learning from coach, that you're discipline you're gonna learn, you could take it in any industry and do it. I had to learn how to network from basketball, from talking to others. And, you know, I mean, um, I went on, you know, you get tons of recruit. Um, when, you get, when you get to a certain level, you get recruited a lot. So I, I met a ton of uh, scouts. And uh, when I went to college, I was talking to a tons of agents and trying to figure out what agent to pick and things of that sort. So you learn to speak to people. You learn to put yourself out there. And you learn rejection. Rejection is very hard in life. And I've been... <laughs> Funny story, I've, I've been smacked in the face twice. Um, first time, I was ranked like in the top 100 in New York, um, top 200 in the nation. Um, and they had, I was sponsored by Adidas and they had this big Adidas tournament when I was like 17 called Adidas Invitational. And um, my last year of high school was the last year you could go from um, straight from high school to NBA. So I used to play on the circuit, like Dwight Howard, Sean Livingston, J.R. Smith, all these big, big time players. And um, I felt, I had college offers from all around the nation and I threw them all in the garbage to psych myself up. Like I'm going to go to this tournament and I'm going to kill these guys. And then my name's going to be there. And I'm going to be all American and coach. Cause like coach K all the top coaches, NBA scouts are going to be at the tournament. And um, I'm not going to tell you how the tournament went, but I will tell you the very first play we played Dwight Howard's team, Atlanta Celtics, who at that point in time, they were the real versions of the monsters from space jam. We had Dwight Howard at center, seven foot, one super athletic. You had Josh Smith at power forward. You had Javar's Crinton at point guard. They all went straight to the NBA. The first play of the game, I'm still in my stance like this with my hands on my knee. The ref throws up the ball. Dwight tips it back. As soon as it touches um, Javar's Crinton's hands, he just throws it in the air. And I'm still like this. And I'm looking. And it felt like Josh Smith fell from the ceiling onto the rim. That's how hard he dunked it. That was the first two seconds of the game. So I'm not going to tell you how the rest of the game went, but the, it just wasn't pretty. So what happened was when I got back home, I had to go in the garbage because I realized I'm not good enough to go from high school to the NBA. I have to go to college. So, you know, you get rude, rude awakenings sometimes in life. And that was an early pivot for me in life. You know what I mean, and um, you, you adjust and you put yourself out there. And that's what networking is to me. You have to put yourself out there. You're going to get rejected. You're going to if you shoot 100 emails, you might only get five responses. And th three of those five might be no's. But two of those might be yeses. And you might get the meeting. And that could open that door for you, open that window for you, that gets you on that road. And then you start spreading out. And people start sharing your name. And you start hitting up people more. And you know you do one good job. And you get more confidence to reach out to somebody else. And um, I've, I've reached out to directors when I barely had any work and sat there, had a, had a meal with them. And... Some of them were very honest and it was like, um, I see where you're gonna progress. You're not good enough to work with me yet. You're just not at my level. Maybe about five years from now, you'll you'll probably be there and we could work on like a car commercial. He's like, he's he does cars. He's like, you work on a car commercial together. And I looked at him and I said, Okay, I appreciate your honesty. I'm gonna try to get there in two. And um I've I've hit him up this year, like the top of the year. And um he signed to a new agency and was like, Hey. About that time, man. I think I'm ready for you. <laughs> but you, you know, you just got to put yourself out there, and you, 
You can't be scared of rejection. And it's going to suck being rejected, but you got to keep doing it. And the more you do it, the more you'll find like-minded people like yourself. You'll find your people and you just keep building off of that. And, um, and understand in this industry, everybody has doubts. Everybody's scared. There's a bunch of introverts. There's a bunch of extroverts, but you'll, you just got to do it. You got to put yourself out there. You can't, you could can be scared, but you can't let that stop you. And um, you'll find your way. Exactly. And I think, you know, another really interesting thing is how do you deal with your own insecurity and your own, when you get into your own head in a negative way, right? Like, because I think <laughs> artists are inherently, okay, pitfalls. Mm -hmm. You compare yourself to other people. I tear myself apart. <laughs> you, and, and. The more you push yourself, the the harder you are on yourself. Mm -hmm. it, it's a weird thing. I'll and second guess myself all the way. You know, it's like, you know, to this day, I'll be doing stuff. And I was like, I come home at the end of the day and I was like, damn, I should have put the light there. I should have, you know, the camera should have moved in this specific way. Yeah. I'm, I'm my worst critic. And I think it's a good thing. It is. Um, I believe so. At least. Yeah, I, I, I do think that's a good thing to go home and not kind of um, do like a self eval, right? Where you evaluate your 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 skills and mm -hmm. how well you did that day. I mean, I, I'll be very honest. I'll call up Lydia and I'm like, you know, I was a shitty leader today. Mm. I really didn't lead my team well. Mm. Uh, and and I got to be better at it. And I this is what I did, and this is what I said, and that wasn't the right thing to do. And you know, I let it. I let the stress get me. And um, these are, and she's like, Shane, understand. Just take it one day at a time. You know, you get on a movie, and I start to see the whole vision. I'm I'm seeing, you know. 40 days, mm -hmm. right? 40 days of production. And I'm like, ah, that's very overwhelming. It's, <laughs> it's over, too much. So to overwhelming. See. And I'm, <laughs> I'm saying, Oh my God, we're going to this place at that point. And I got to make sure that pre-rig teams are ready. And that's, you know, and she's like, dude, just sit there and take it one day at a time. Just dive into that one day. And, and then the next day you, you dive into it the next day and the mm -hmm. next day and you start to build and, it's like, how many movies have I done? 30 movies? And she's had the same conversation to me 30 times. So it's yeah. like. <laughs> because you go down your own rabbit hole yeah. in your head. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. it's and so what do you do for situations like this? How do you how do you get out of your own way? Um, well, first, so I have like, I guess, two, two, two to three levels. Um, so first, I try to do it myself where um, it's back from when I used to play sports. I look myself in the mirror and I'll just talk trash to myself. Like, you know, you're, you're better than this. Like, you could do better. And I just try to talk myself up to like, yeah, you could do it. Um, if that doesn't get me out the funk, um, I'll talk to my wife and I'll be open and honest with her. Like, I feel this way. I feel like I'm never going to work again or, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. And, um... Oh, okay, I did this job better. If, um, if we had more time, or I should have pushed for this piece of equipment. I should have pushed for this extra person in the crew. We could have did this, and then she'll talk to me about it. You know, what I mean, we'll, we'll do a thing with each other where we're like, okay, what's worst case scenario? What's the worst thing you think could happen? I'm like, oh, man, nobody will ever work for me no more ever again. Okay, then 
go make your own films. You know what I mean? This, you know, we'll talk like that. This is the worst mm-hmm. case scenario, but this is probably what's really going to happen. And then if it, if she can't help me do it, then um, I call my father. Me and my father have a rapport where um, Michael used to play no matter where I was at in the world. He'll find a streaming service or something that's showing the game. He'll wait up 4 a.m. in the morning to watch it if I'm on the other side of the world. And um, after every game, we'll sit down and we'll talk. And we'll talk the whole game through what he saw. I was seen on the court and we'll go through the whole thing. It was just like a therapy session. So like um if uh, <laughs> if I, if it really if if I if using my my wife could get me out of my funk and if it really can't get me out of funk, something I'm really, really worried about, I'll call him. My father um is blessed enough. He's seven years old, he's lived a life, he's experienced things, and he'll give me the bigger picture. And sometimes he'll say things to me and it's like, well. This is what can happen. This is what's going to happen. And it'll make it feel like everything's going to be okay. And um, I'll, I can see the vision clearer. But that's like if it gets written. It, 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 nowadays, it really gets to that. Um, I can either get out myself or me and my wife will do it. Mm-hmm. We'll play devil's, devil's advocate for each other. And um, honestly, what's harder to me, at least with the point, of, the point where I'm at in my career, is I'm getting hit up by a lot of people now that think my work is great. And I was like, oh man, I'm gonna come work for you and stuff like that. And I just feel, I know where I wanna go. I know what I'm trying to achieve. And I was like, I feel like I could still get so much better and be so much better. So I always feel a little weird when people are like, oh, your work is so great. And I'm like, thank you. Uh, I appreciate it, but like, it's gonna be better. And that's like, I'll go to my wife and I'll be like, yo, does, does this look good? Does this look like it's supposed to be on TV? Like, I still have to ask her that sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that. That's um, so... So that actually feels more weird to me than um, when I get in the funk because I've been in, I've been through those funks playing ball so many times. And um, I'll forget that. And I have people to remind me, like, oh, you don't remember that season where this happened? Mm-hmm. You felt like this? and then after, Especially when the knee injury happened, it was just like... Am I gonna lose my identity? Because this is all I've done. You know what I mean? And um, I have my degree in finance because I got my degree in college. I didn't try to leave early for the MBA because um, um, my wife, I mean, not my wife, but my mother wanted me to get my degree because she didn't have the opportunity to go to college. So I got that for her. And um, on a grand scheme, you know what I mean? I probably wasn't good enough to leave early anyway. But uh, it's dealt with those down periods. So I, I understand on a handle, I understand when it's too big for me to handle and reach out for help for that. So I believe you should always have a circle, whether it's your parents, friend, your lover, a side person on the street that you just walk by every day and y'all just talk to each other. Just somebody you could express yourself to about your fears and your worries. Somebody that's going to put their hand in the back and give you that little boost that you need. Exactly. Because once you get them out of your head, then you can stop worrying about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Once you get it off your chest and out of your head, then you can let it be and focus on the art. Yeah. Right? But otherwise, it's something that chips away at you and eats away at you and actually detracts from the work. Yeah. So, yeah. One uh, one other question that I'm just fascinated by is, what do you think that people, what is unexpected about you or something that people would never guess? Um, <laughs> I love Adele's music and I'm where, <laughs> where I come from. You wouldn't expect that. Like, you would not expect that. Oh, you know, it's like 
hip hop and or it's like old school R and B, but like me and my wife, like I don't go to concerts like that, but like we both said, like, okay, when Dell comes to town, we're going. <laughs> 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 and you like if you catch me in the right day in the car, I could be playing some type of music that you wouldn't expect. Like you like uh, if I if I was listening to I don't know to Jay Z or Kendrick Lamar, you'll look at me and be like, okay, that kind of fits your like how you look and the type of vibe you give off that kind of fits you. Yeah. And then some days you're walking and I'll be playing Adele or um what what what, what am I listening to now? There's like a Sam Smith song that I really love that I listen to and it's just like the vocals of it. And it's like another form of art. And now um I found this guy on TikTok who plays a piano and plays beautiful music. I think his name is Jake, but he spells it with a V instead of an A. And I'll be listening to his song and um. Yeah, like you, if you open a car door and came in here on a random day, you'd be like, I would have never thought you listened to something like this. Yeah. So I feel like that might be something unexpected. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that is because most, especially when I go back to New York and I tell people, like, yeah, man, gonna go see Adele. And my friends will look at me and be like, what happened to you? <laughs> it was like Canada changed you, man. <laughs> in a good way, though. In a good way. Yeah. Canada uh, changed you. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that might be something that's a little bit unexpected. That's so cool. Well, it has been. It has been such so much fun talking with you, and uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know, I think that this idea of the pivot and understanding that, you know, things are going to happen in your life and you have to, to kind of, uh, take that in and understand where you are and also be able to use the, uh, the experience and, and the training and everything that you used from basketball to then pivot and, and, uh, fuel your art. Um, that's, I mean, that can go across any profession, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that's a wonderful takeaway. And, and, you know, I think, I think our listeners and everyone is going to be very inspired by who you are and what you've done. And as much as both Lydia and I have, and that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to have you on the show, because we, we saw your work and where, where you're headed and, uh, we can't wait to see, uh, what you create next oh man um once again thank you to jordan um and thank you for having me here this has um been a very memorable experience on a very strange day how it started out but um <laughs> it's definitely went on back on track the way i was hoping it would go and um thank you to everybody here um your whole crew has been from when i walked in the door it's been a pleasure and it's, it's amazing to be sitting in your presence um I do love what y'all are doing. I I love how you give back to the community. Um, and I'm glad that if my story could help somebody else to um, inspire them or take the leap of faith, um, um, I'm glad for that. And I tell anybody, anybody that's listening to this, anybody that's watching this, um, you can always contact me. Um, I don't know everything. I could tell you what I do know, and I could maybe point you in the right direction to somebody that knows more than me. So <laughs> never be scared to hit somebody up. Um, I, I answer whenever I'm free. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for your your openness, your humbleness, and your heart, because that, that really speaks volumes about who 
You are, Daryl, and we we really uh, appreciate your time today. So thanks so much. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's been awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> and that concludes the Inner Circle Podcast, The Pivot. <laughs> thanks. Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut, and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps, most notably the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for all access members and from content to community and coaching opportunities, everything you need to master your craft. So download the app. And this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level.